When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkin and Andrew Filippone. And welcome into First and Pod. I'm Andrew Filippone. Danny Parkins has the evening off. And we've got a huge NFL Sunday to react to. Starting with what happened in Santa Clara tonight between the 49ers and Chargers. Uh, the 49ers did it. In a ugly way. You know, I thought the mismatch with all the players coming back on the offensive side of the ball, like Debo Samuel for the Niners and the Chargers dealing with their injuries, no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen, that this game was a recipe for a blowout. The San Francisco on a national stage now with a lot of eyes on them Sunday night, that they were going to show people that they're a contender with Philadelphia, Minnesota, um, Kansas City in the AFC, Buffalo, Miami. I didn't really think they did that. Their defense limited the Chargers, stymied them totally. But the Chargers were not dealing with their full arsenal of weapons. Offensively, Garoppolo didn't throw a touchdown pass. McCaffrey didn't he didn't uh, have a huge game. So really, San Francisco won, but there were no style points. They could have easily lost the game. Uh, They couldn't punch it in at times. They kicked the field goal late to go up six. So Kyle Shanahan, the field goal decision was not really a good one late in the game. So kind of an unconvincing win for me with the 49ers. They got the job done, but I don't feel like I'm in the mood to celebrate or really gush about the way they played. And then conversely on the Chargers side, the, the hit on Herbert could have turned into a gigantic story Monday where every podcast in America, every NFL podcast like us, every sports TV show was talking about how that play, that green law hit that he got ejected for, uh, you know, if, if it knocks Herbert out, it would have been a big story. He comes back in the game. Uh, if the chargers go on to win the game because of that ejection, well, then that would have been a gigantic thing. So, Kind of crisis averted for the NFL. They got to figure that out. Protect quarterbacks, but at the same time, let's not forget that it is football and let's not overemphasize the protection of quarterbacks to the point where guys are getting thrown out of games for borderline plays. All right. So that's Sunday night football. The real conversation that is going to be water cooler talk all over America and already has been on social media, is that Vikings-Bills game. And let me start with this on that game. I got robbed and I got ripped off today as an NFL fan because of where that game was slotted in. The NFL needs to take a page out of the college football playbook. You know, college football, they quote-unquote flex games every week where six days before the next game, we don't know the times of the game so sometimes. 
So what I'm saying is today, instead of Fox giving everybody the Packers and Cowboys at 425, they should have given us Bills and Vikings. I live in Pittsburgh, so I got coverage. I got the Saints and Steelers game today for three hours, okay? Most of America should have gotten the Vikings-Bills game. It was the the, the class of the AFC against a 7-1 team. That should have been the 430 game, and the Cowboys and Packers should have been at 1 o'clock, even with Aaron Rodgers and two big brands. Give us the better game. So I only got really the last five minutes of regulation and then overtime of that game. And that part of it was a classic. I mean, there were as many twists and turns there as there were in that playoff game last year between the Bills and the Chiefs. And I think that's one of the top things I I come away from this game with. The Bills are losing a lot of these types of games. The Bills lost a game to the Dolphins earlier this year where they had the huge, huge yardage advantage. When Tua first had the concussion scare where he went down and then he came back in. The Bills blew that game. Josh Allen's turnovers, he's gone from MVP to is there something wrong with Josh Allen in a very short amount of time? Not just the physical with the UCL, the elbow that, I mean, is it a Tommy John situation? Is it just going to get better? Is it not going to get worse? But the psychological uh, component of things, you know, the Bills, that was the that was the question on the minds of many like myself before the year started. They lose in the playoffs in a heartbreaking fashion. How do they get over it? And they hit the ground running against the Rams. They blew them out. They blew out the Titans. They handled the Chiefs at Arrowhead. I mean, they've, they've been the favorites all year. But this, to me, there seems to be, for Josh Allen, he... Um, a knowledge or a knowingness that he has to do way too much in order for the Bills to win. On paper, they're supposed to be the most complete team. They can't run the ball unless he's doing it. Uh, after stuff, after digs, Davis is up and down, not always reliable. Tight end play inconsistent. They've got a million running backs. They can't pick one that they really want to go with. I don't think McDermott has come through in, in all the game management uh, situations. And the defense... Uh, the 96-yard drive by the Jets at the end of the game that ends in a field goal to win it. Um, so, but the number one thing is Josh Allen from their perspective. What's going on with the guy? To fumble the ball, the muffed snap like that was just insane. You know, that's a game you got to win 99% of the time. I don't want to hear about take a safety. You're not going to punt the ball back to the Vikings and give them a chance with a couple of plays to win it on a field goal. So, you know, get out of here with the safety talk. And for the Vikings, you know, I think the shame of it for them is a lot of the conversation is going to be about what the Bills didn't do to win the game. And the only thing from the Vikings perspective that is going to get talked about is the incredible catch by Jefferson, which, you know, I know it's glove technology and all that. And guys like Fred Bolitnikoff put stick them on their hands and, the NFL was different 50 years ago and every advantage is there for skill position players now like wide receivers. But you're you're telling me fourth and 18, he goes up with one hand and makes that catch in, in traffic. Phenomenal. J- Justin Jefferson started the season against the Packers and looked like offensive player of the year. 
he got himself back into that conversation with the way he played today. It's a signature win for the Vikings, no doubt, because a lot of people looked at them as a paper tiger. They had just taken advantage of a weak NFC North going into this game. But it's not like Kirk Cousins blew anyone away. His stat line is not going to be eye-popping. He didn't really do enough that I think, you know, his, uh, the, the story on him or the book on him changes off of this game. So hopefully I'm doing it justice. The last 20 minutes of the game in real time was completely surreal. And it is a game that is for the, you know, history books, but it's was not a playoff game that everyone got. And it wasn't a primetime game or in a time slot where most of America got the game. So I, like many, jumped into it late and had to go from there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, let's turn next to the game in Munich today in Germany where the Bucks, the odds makers got this right. The odds makers favored the Bucks today over the Hollywood story of the Seahawks and what they've been able to do winning four in a row. And the Bucks led really from start to finish to knock off Seattle 21 to 16. Tom Brady after the game was acting like this was some triumphant moment in NFL history to go there. There was huge ticket demand. There were literally millions of ticket requests from what I heard for this game, which is crazy to think about that so many people wanted to see a real live NFL game that wasn't NFL Europe or a preseason game. 3 million, thank you Spencer. 3 million. I you know, I thought that was the number but I didn't say it out loud because it just seems like it's impossible to be true, but it is. Three million ticket requests. Uh, and, and Brady was acting like they spread the gospel of football with this game, that they made fans in Germany. But I wonder in today's day and age where everything is so accessible. I mean, if you live in Germany, you can stream games. You can watch games on satellite. You can probably pirate them illegally. It's a lot easier to access these things, but I guess it still is a little bit different when the game actually gets played where you live and in your backyard. So I'm sure the NFL made fans there. And it really, when Brady comes out and speaks to the enormity of the whole thing and how it felt like a first-class event, like a Super Bowl, what that does for me is it only accelerates the NFL going full-time into Europe. And... You know, I think that the first thing will be it will be games there almost every week. That every single week we'll have an early game that takes place somewhere in Europe. Where and it becomes like a Thursday night thing that demands on teams they get asked to do two things. They get asked to play one Thursday night game a year, and everybody goes to Europe once. I think that I think we're really closing in on that. Um And I think that would be, the NFL would like that because now you've got four, you've got an extra television window to sell. 
Right now, those games are on NFL Network. You know, you can next TV, next the next time the TV package is up, you can sell that separately either to, you know, maybe Hulu gets in or maybe Netflix. I don't know. But it creates a new inventory spot. I'd love to see the ratings. You know, it's on NFL Network's on cable. It's not local in a lot of these places. You know, the one game was on ESPN Plus between the Broncos and Jaguars. But I do think that is where the NFL... They've talked about how to grow the game in Europe. Do you put teams over there? Do you have the, it's you know a, a European division? The players' association would like that because it's more jobs. But then you got to talk about players living over there full time too, in the travel demands that come with that. Like once the playoffs and stuff start. So th- this Germany thing was absolutely huge, and I don't think Brady was pl- paying it lip service. And plus, he was in the mood to talk glowingly about it because the Bucs won the game and now they're back in the driver's seat when it comes to uh, the NFC, the NFC South Colts and Raiders. We're moving this game up the, the rundown because of everything that went on with the Colts and Raiders today in Vegas from the decision earlier in the week by the Colts to fire Frank Reich. Danny and I talked about it on the podcast. We gave our thoughts on the Jeff Saturday hire and I'm in Pittsburgh. Bill Cower eviscerated it today on the NFL on CBS. And I took exception with Cower's comments because he described the coaching fraternity as if it were an exclusive VIP club where you almost like a union too, where you had to like, someone had to recommend you. Then you'd go in and start at the bottom and you'd have to pay your dues to wake, to work your way up to the top. And look, you know, that story, that road to success, a lot of people do have to gradually, incrementally work their way up from the bottom of the totem pole, do the grinded out jobs uh, and succeed at those before they get their big break and their big opportunity. And some people never get it because frankly, some people aren't talented enough To be a head coach, there's a reason why you have lifers as assistant coaches. Some people are meant to lead and others are better off as uh, lieutenants who aid leaders. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm Like I said, I'm in Pittsburgh. The Steelers had Dick LeBeau, who's considered one of the great coordinators in NFL history, was a head coach with the Bengals and was not very good at all. Was frankly atrocious at it. Um, So Cowher's going on and on about how What's happening with Jeff Saturday is a disgrace to the NFL. It's a joke to the coaching profession. Even though this goes on in other coaching ranks all the time. NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, managers and coaches for head positions get hired without having to toil in the minor leagues of baseball. Ex-players become head coaches in the NBA all the time, whether they go from the broadcast booth or they're just retired. I thought the Saturday thing we've learned in the last few days that Jeff Saturday was actually more involved with the Colts than the media initially led on. The consultant role not only meant that he was talking to Jim Ursay every day, but he was also in constant contact with their coaches. So he knew what their coaches were doing and what they weren't doing. And he also had, other than just film, he had proprietary information, inside information on all their players too. Now I had been tipped off earlier in the day that they were 
that he that Saturday was not an Ellinger guy. And you know, I, look, the guy's been on TV a lot. He probably said as much on TV. They went to Matt Ryan. That was a stabilizing force. I had a feeling that Saturday's identity was going to be get back to the run game, get back to the offensive line. And they were able to do that against a Raiders team that honestly, at the beginning of the year, we didn't think very highly of them as a defense. I mean, they're cutting first round picks earlier in the week, like Jonathan Abram. So it was the perfect opponent, the perfect team to play. Spirits in Vegas are super low. Their morale is shot. Waller and uh, Renfro got placed on IR before this game. They've got no uh, belief in McDaniels. McDaniels is a is a cerebral coach. He's not a rah-rah coach. And so when his teams, when, when they're losing, you know, he does not strike me as a guy that's going to inspire them other than what they see on an X's and O's grease board or dry erase board and what they see in a playbook or a game plan for a given week. You know, they, they're not going to run through a wall for Josh McDaniels. Jonathan Taylor literally did that today. The Colts offensive line put forth its best blocking game of the year. And I don't think it's out of the question for the Colts to rally here and make the playoffs. They're four, five, and one. It's still going to take, it's going to take the Titans collapsing, but I'm not going to, that team has exceeded my expectations all year, Tennessee. We still got a lot of football left. And with Matt Ryan this year, the Colts are actually a 500 team. McDaniels, by the way, you know, what's going to be the level of patience there with Mark Davis? I just said, some guys are meant to be head coaches and others assistants. Josh McDaniels might be the most recent example of that. The great work he's able to do when he's working next to Bill Belichick compared to what he's done as a head coach in his career. And this is now a second opportunity. Cowboys and Packers. Now, I kind of saw this coming that Green Bay was going to have a rebound game. I'd mentioned that on FanDuel TV and some of the other things that I do. And we kind of talked about it uh, on Thursday with Danny. He was ripping on me because, you know, I thought this was a chance for Mike McCarthy to get one over on Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I think, Aaron Rodgers, I think, and, and you hear this come out whenever he talks to McAfee or, whenever he does these conversations where he goes on a podcast and he goes deep into his personal life and all the stuff that's going on with the drug experiment, drug experimentation, excuse me. You know, I think that the personal relationships and the ones that have fractured or the relationships where Aaron Rodgers feels like he either wants to make amends or he wants to prove a point. I think that, that those games are extra incentive for him to play his best football. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mike McCarthy, nostalgia, his old Super Bowl winning coach walks in the door into Lambeau Field. He's wearing a Vince Lombardi jacket for old time's sake. And I think Aaron Rodgers was motivated to play his best game. I do think with Rodgers, the commitment level is not there week in and week out. And it's certainly, he goes into his own world his own domain, which is his prerogative, in the offseason. But I think as he's gotten older now, this year, it's caught up to him a little bit. The talent pool around him obviously isn't as good. You you could probably start and end there for the biggest reason why his play has dropped off so significantly this year because of what the Packers have have failed to do at wide receiver. 
the Packers fans and the national football media, they are going to obsess over what happened with Christian Watson in this game. For him to have three touchdowns and the conversation will be, is this guy going to be, now that he's healthy, does he have a future as Aaron Rodgers' go-to guy or is this just a one-game thing? Uh, I think one-game thing, but, you know, at some point, the, this season was going to completely fall off a clip for the Packers or a light bulb was either going to go on for Aaron Rodgers or he was going to develop chemistry with somebody that maybe allowed for him to have a more optimistic uh, outlook for the rest of the season. And maybe Watson will do that with him. You know, maybe he'll feel like he's got a wide receiver now that he can eventually trust and work with that, you know, helps them not just for next year, but hit on something for the rest of this season. And for Dallas, Pollard put up numbers today. He Zeke didn't play. That was not the problem. Uh, Dak just really had a pedestrian game by his standards. And it's a blow to Dallas because you know, their playoff situation is not in doubt whatsoever, I don't think. But now it's going to be even catcher to even harder to catch Philadelphia. They've got a game in hand on you. I haven't beaten you already this year in Philly when Rush was still at quarterback and the Giants won again today. So overtime win for the Packers, 31 to 28. Chiefs 27, Jaguars 17. I think we're starting to take Patrick Mahomes for granted. I think, you know, I, I'll admit that. Maybe I'm my own personal feelings and I'm doing a doing the show by myself. So there's no, there's no counterbalance or counterpoint. But I, I've got to look myself in the mirror when I say that. You know, we're a little bit numb to the Patrick Mahomes success because it happens all the time. And I think when, you know, last week it was about late heroics from him. It was not an overall great game. This was four touchdowns. This was, a, this was a, again, a singular performance by a guy that lifted his team uh, to victory that allowed for his team to have a comfortable win uh, with, with Josh Allen's problems, you know, the gap now between my opinion, Mahomes hurts. And now the third candidate for the MVP, there's now a precipitous drop-off. It feels like more of a two man race with what happened with Allen. Again, more people got to see this game today. This was a Jim Nance, Tony Romo, this game went out to a lot of people this afternoon and they probably flipped over to Bill's Vikings or red zone or something else quickly because of what Kansas city uh, was able to do a nice pace yourself game before next week, the chargers come to town. And if they sweep LA, which they probably will because Mahomes head to head against the AFC West has dominated those teams. Uh, then it'll be about the number one seed. And they are now in position with that bill's loss to get the number one seed and and force the playoffs to go through Arrowhead uh, like they have the last few years. If Danny were here, he would be doing, he would be barging into any conversation about a game we've had so far to try to get me to get into the Lions and Bears game. Because this is exactly the type of game, it's two weeks in a row, where Danny, as a Bears fan living in Chicago, 
has got the ideal outcome. Things have, have gone about as, as well as they can, about as good as they can for the Bears right now because their quarterback, another 100-plus yard performance on the ground, a 40-plus yard touchdown. Fields had fantasy football. He's he's the MVP right now that the last few weeks because the rushing stats for a quarterback do, do you more, and depending on the scoring system, they usually do. The rushing numbers help you out more than the passing stats. Um, Fields is looking like the cream of the crop from that draft class two years ago, while at the same time the Bears are losing, which will allow for them to get a better pick in next year's draft. And then with the picks that they have in the subsequent rounds, picking higher in the draft. They had the Ravens pick in the second round that they got for Roquan Smith. They're going to have to rebuild their defense. But for you know, they're doing things as a rushing offense that we haven't seen since the 1970s. And the difference from back then to now is that this is quarterback driven. This is a lot like, is that the team success? But this is a, well, this is a lot like Lamar Jackson in Baltimore a few years ago. when he Now, when he went in as the starting quarterback, they made the playoffs. And then the next year, he won the MVP. That's not going to happen here. It's a little bit of a, more of a late bloomer situation. But that's also because, look, the Bears did not have the team around fields that Baltimore has with Jackson. The, um, the organizational support of the coaching and the GM that you have there, turnover in Chicago, new coach, new GM. But this is, from a guy that early in the season, they were playing it safe with, he was attempting like a dozen passes a game. And you had former NFL head coaches like Mike Mart saying, this guy can't complete a forward pass. He's never going to be a quarterback. He's now become a revelation. For Detroit, this is the first win on the road for Dan Campbell. Did not have one last year. Took half of this season. Uh, I think that this gets Dan Campbell, if it wasn't clear already, if it wasn't obvious, I think this is going to help Dan Campbell keep his job. It's back-to-back wins against NFC North teams. Believe it or not, the last time the Lions had won on the road, it was at Soldier Field, which speaks to some of the ineptitude of the Bears. But his team, despite all the points in this game and despite all the points that the the Lions have given up this year outside of last week against Green Bay, um, you know, they put themselves in a in position where they're going to get a top five pick and it's going to be about Dan Campbell finding the quarterback that matches his personality and the intensity of the team. It's one thing to be competitive and be a team that puts out good effort, but you know, you can only do that for so long in the NFL. And Jared Goff is not the reason why the Lions are losing every week. But I think now eight, nine games into a season, it's pretty obvious that he's still one of the bottom tier starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And if they if they win six or seven games with him this season, that'll be probably, given this overall health of the roster, a pretty good coaching job by Dan Campbell. Uh, Let's get to the Dolphins and Browns. The Dolphins are in first place in the AFC East. 
And this line was only three today, which I thought was so bizarre and so strange that Miami was only a small favorite at home against Cleveland. Now the Browns were coming off a bye, but the Dolphins, they're scoring points every week with Tua out there. And he is the first Miami quarterback since Dan Marino to have three straight games of three touchdowns or more. And if you saw him today operate a two-minute drill at the end of the first half, it's not just Tyreek Hill. It's not just Jalen Waddell. He's making plays. That Jeff Wilson acquisition, he had a huge game on the ground coming over from San Francisco. Had a tremendous game. The Dolphins were, um, I believe they were 9-1 to one to win the AFC East when the day started. Uh, their odds are going to get much better after this. Uh, Buffalo will probably still be a small favorite, even though they're in third place technically. But the Tua thing should be gaining steam and momentum. What he's doing here, his QBR and passer rating. I said this to Danny last show, and he got got on my case about it. Like, how much longer do the Tua haters deny the numbers and pretend like they don't matter? Why do we do that with certain guys? Certain guys, we hold up the stats and say, this is evidence that a player is good. And people don't want to do that with Tua. Um, He's left-handed. It's unorthodox. It's not always pretty. But we've seen what their offense looks like when he can't play this year. And we see what they do as a team unit when he doesn't play or can't finish a game. And that's lose. So I think Tua should be getting more credit. Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland I believe his last 17 games, there are six and 11. So the bloom is off the rose for him, but we'll see what they do. Next week is the last game without Deshaun Watson. They go to Buffalo. They'll lose that game. They'll be three and eight um, or three and seven, I should say. Uh, Excuse me. They've got two more games without Watson, Buffalo, and then Tampa Bay. And then in week 13, He'll come back. So they got to ride it out for two more games. Uh, bottom line for Cleveland is that they're dead. They could not keep their season afloat without Deshaun Watson. Speaking of seasons that are over, no longer afloat, the Rams, 27-17 loser to the Cardinals today. Uh, no Matt Stafford. Cooper Cup suffered an ugly, grotesque ankle injury in this game. They still couldn't run the ball. Cam Akers was their leading rusher. They gave up 27 points in a game where Colt McCoy and Trace McSorley played. It's over. And you can only be so critical, I think, of a team that's coming off a Super Bowl win. You know, how hard can you really bang on a team when it won a championship the year before? But the Rams are really testing the limits. I mean, the idea that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to walk in there and rejuvenate this team, that was far-fetched. If they'd given up all those picks for Burns, the great Panthers pass rusher, I think that would have been a short-sighted move too. So sometimes the moves you don't make are good. And I think in the Rams' case, trying to throw something at this team, try to put a Band-Aid on this team would not have worked. And And losing out on McCaffrey and not getting Burns and kind of getting denied on these big moves Ultimately good because no player, not even McCaffrey, was going to turn this team around. They're 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 older, they're injured, and so 
sometimes this happens where a team after this, usually talk Super Bowl hangovers, the team that lost the Super Bowl. In this case, it's the Rams, and they put so much from an energy standpoint into last year with all the picks that they traded and all the veteran players that they had on that team. Uh, the Giants beat the Texans. Not a shocker, not a surprise. Another huge game for Saquon Barkley. There is a report that the Giants now want to sign Barkley to a contract extension. They've got to resist the temptation of doing that. This is an awesome story. This is a coach of the year type masterpiece by Brian Dable. They beat the Lions at home next week, and it's going to be really tough for the Giants to miss the playoffs. They'd have to collapse. Uh, they'd be really probably a win or two away from locking themselves in as a as a wild card in the seven-team uh, playoff picture. But don't allow for short-term success to cause you to fall in love with your coach or quarterback. It was another well-managed game by Daniel Jones. He connected with Darius Slayton on a big play. And Saquon Barkley uh, was the linchpin of their offense. He was the maypole. Everything they did revolved around him, and it worked against the worst team by record in the NFL this year. But you know, do not, under any circumstances here, give in to Barkley and give him a contract extension. You give him that you give him a tag of some kind after the year, or yeah, uh, you just let him leave in free agency and take the comp pick. I think the tag is probably the better idea, though, of uh, of every of uh, of everything there. The tag, the transition tag, would probably be the best move. Uh, Monday night, let's take a look at this Monday night game for a second. It's a it's supposed to be a blowout. The Eagles are a ten and a half point favorite. Uh, the Commanders. Taylor Heineke, you know, is he going to continue what has been a wild ride where there's honestly probably four or five plays a game from him that excite you and make you want to believe? There's a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick in Heineke's game. For the Eagles, I fully expect them to win. They blew out Washington something like 24 to 8 earlier in the year. Uh, I don't know when they're going to be an underdog in a game. It's probably Dallas, but that's not a, that's not for another month. They've got the Colts on the road after this, and man, is that game going to get a lot of attention now with Saturday as the Indy coach. The early line for that game is out, and the Eagles are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. They host the Packers on Sunday night football in a couple of weeks. I don't think that game will get flexed. I think that'll stay in that time slot, even with the Packers' four-and-six record. Titans are always a dangerous team because you never know what's going to happen with Derrick Henry. So, and by the way, I actually, this is what happens when Danny's not here to keep me in check. I completely forgot about that Titans-Broncos game. Just a quick thought there. I mean, it's just more Russell Wilson uh, futility. After the bye, uh, there, there was no bump. There was no... Uh, Success that carried over from late in the Jacksonville game. And Ryan Tannehill outplayed Russell Wilson and just did what he needed to do to win that game. So Denver, you know, are they going to get off the mat here and put together any uh, semblance of consistent winning? No, it doesn't look that way. And remember, the owners there now did not hire Nathaniel Hackett. 
But last point, you know, Spencer, this is why Spencer's so good at his job. He's getting in my ear and saying, dude, you haven't even talked about the game that from your market. That's right. Steelers and Saints. I did not hit on that. Uh, TJ Watt came back for the Steelers. And they are a different team when he plays. They're 2-0 and when he's in the lineup from start to finish. Like that Cincinnati game at the beginning of the year. He was awesome in that game. They first they forced five uh, five Joe Burrow turnovers. Joe Burrow's worst game of his career, and the Steelers' defense uh, is is just even with Minka Fitzpatrick, who had an appendicitis emergency on Saturday. Steelers' defense uh, looks night and day different with T.J. Watt in there, and I think it's going to lead to some what ifs in Pittsburgh. Like, what if this guy had played? and stayed healthy all year, what would our record be right now? Uh, For New Orleans, I don't get why they're playing Andy Dalton. You know what Andy Dalton is. He threw two interceptions in the second half of this game. They should be playing Jameis Winston to see if there's any lightning left in that Jameis Winston bottle from what he did early last year. If not, uh, then they're going to be in the market for a quarterback. I think it's also showing... What a great coach Sean Payton is that he leaves New Orleans and they become one of the uh, worst teams in the NFL. You know, they, they could finish in last place, even with Carolina already firing its coach and trading Christian McCaffrey and the Falcons just being a so-so team. All right, we'll have Danny back on Thursday. Thanks to Spencer who reminded me, dude, there are games you haven't talked about yet. And that is the motto of this show. Every game, every team, Spotify, Odyssey app, iTunes, so many places to find the show. First in pod, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.